Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We're going to be in Acts. We'll get there in a second. Like I said, I am uh, the creative director here at Pinewood. I get to serve alongside a lot of what I like to call unsung heroes. Say the B team. I mean, if, if you consider it, we're all technically the B team compared to Jesus. You know, we're just, he is the A team, him, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, and we get to support him in his mission. I get to serve alongside a lot of B team, unsung, people behind the scenes, people every single week. If you look around between our three locations, if you include online, there's a lot of work that goes in to caring for the hundreds of people who tune in and uh, be a part of Pinewood every single week. So I love it. I love being a part of the creative teams, uh, the tech teams, all the people, uh, like I like, I like to say, in the gap. And we're going to focus on that concept today of in the gap. See, history sometimes forgets about people um, who operate in the gap. But how many of you know it doesn't take a spotlight and a fancy head mic and a stage, a million followers on Instagram, and a corporate sponsorship to have impact or significance in this world? No, it's about heart. It's about posture. See, history will forget about a lot of us, um, but God won't. God will remember. See, we like to talk about the Michael Jordans, but we don't like to talk about the Scottie Pippins. We like to talk about Steve Jobs, but not the Wozniaks. We like to talk about, uh, Aero, maybe I do, Aerosmith, Faith Hill, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Anybody? It's a favorite. Come on. <laughs> but many don't know that all of their favorite hits or all their top hits were written by one lady named Diane Eve Warren. Same deal with Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Woo! Kelly Clarkson, Pink, Usher, Avril Lavigne. Katy Perry, The Weeknd, and Taylor Swift. We all, we all love them. We appreciate their music and their craft and their art. But most of their top songs were written by one guy. His name was Max Martin. Here's my favorite. I love John Lasseter. You might know him. He is the king behind all the stories of Disney. He wrote things like uh, Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. But behind him was a man named Ed Catmull. And he recounts in his book, Creativity, Inc., the, uh, the, the long, arduous road to convincing Disney that there was a better way. See, Disney wanted to make it look like this. They wanted to make all of their movies look like Princess, Animal Sidekick, four to seven songs that are super catchy, Prince Charming comes in, saves the day, ship it off. And that works. I'm a huge fan of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yeah. The Beast is like my spirit animal. But then Ed Catmull came along and he said, no, we're going we're gonna to do it differently. Let me tell you about Woody and Buzz. Let me tell you about a robot for 45 minutes of a movie doesn't say a word yeah. that we fell in love with, Wally. Let me tell you about being inside a little girl's mind and having to talk about emotions and hard stuff in Inside Out. See, if it wasn't for the Ed Catmulls of the world, in the face of opposition, they used it as an opportunity and they rose above it. Yeah, I like, I love the stories of behind the scenes. See, I struggle with pride. I would say it's a spiritual gift of mine. I'm a very prideful human. That's why I love what Pastor Chris, 
Christine Kane says. She says, if the light that shines on you is brighter than the light that shines within you, it will kill you. I'll say that again. If the light that shines on you is brighter than the light that shines within you, it will kill you. And I believe that. That's why I love operating in the gap with the people behind the scenes, because God sees that. And that's what really matters. And we're going to talk about two people today that do that really, really well. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18. Paul mentions this couple, and don't, don't ignore the message just because I'm talking about a married couple in the Bible if you're not married. It's just as important for you to understand that having a person on mission with you is mission critical to the success of your marriage and relationship. For those who are married, it's important that you guys are aligned. It's a co-mission. It's, we're on the same mission together. They're a good example of a marriage on mission, and Paul makes it very clear and how he adores this couple and how they're a good example. He goes so far as to speak about them in three different books. They're mentioned in Acts, they're mentioned in Romans, they're mentioned in Corinthians. The ladies will love this. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is mentioned six out of those eight times because Paul was honoring her significant role in their ministry. How many of you know that a lot of times it takes a heart of a woman to make something successful, right? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, and I'm going to read through this. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I would open it up. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want to buy you one. We'll buy you any Bible that you want. Pick the most expensive one on Amazon, come tell me about it, and I'll buy it for you right now because we believe that the Word of God is so important. Yeah. You need to have it. And having a physical book in your home acts as a reminder for the truths when you sometimes forget about it. And so we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 18, and it says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Paul was in Athens, went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, they're talking about Emperor Claudius of Rome, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. He expelled them. We'll pause there for a second. They were told to leave because of, and we know this because of, a, of a, another Christian writer called Ser Serotonius. He said um, that Claudius did this because of uh, Jesus Ruckus. He said that there was a, a, a matter of, of uprising and people uh, infiltrating the whole city because of this guy named Christus, which we know is the Christ. It's, he's, he's our Jesus. Yeah. And Claudius wasn't having it. And so he told all the Christians, get out, y'all are causing too much of a ruckus. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they could have gone anywhere. They went to the largest Roman occupied city in Greece, Corinth at the time. Like, they could have just given up. In the face of opposition, they go, man, this is really hard. But no, they, they decided to go and continue doing exactly what they are and causing a ruckus in a new city filled with Roman people who had just oppressed them. It continues and says, Paul went to see them, Priscilla and Aquila, and because he was a tent maker, he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. A lot of people don't know this. Paul worked six days a week as a tent maker, and then on Sundays he went and reasoned and debated with all the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he was like you and I. The vast majority of us are going to operate as what's called lay ministers in the church. We aren't going to be fully paid by the church. Our full-time occupation is not going to be working for the church. We're going to be inside the city. And so what's really cool about this is that they spent all of their time 
building tents, but they used it as an opportunity to minister to others. They were business owners. They were people, in, in regards to Rome, it's a huge city, they were a minority in their faith. They were told to leave their home, they went to Corinth, and they continued doing it. They had every reason to be bitter and offended and resentful and give up on the faith, but they didn't. They continued to do so, and that's where they met Paul. See, in the face of great opposition, do you, do you rise to the occasion, or do you let the devil take over? Even further, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't experience opposition in your life, one could argue that you aren't really doing anything for the faith. Because the devil knows, like, if you're not really doing anything and you're being whimsical about your faith, you're nothing to worry about. But when you start to connect with people, when you start to be radically generous, when you start to fight for the hearts of the men and women in your life, the devil doesn't like that. He gets super pissed off about that. And so he'll make it hard. Now, see, he made it hard for Priscilla and Aquila, and they continued. See, the Old Testament, we talk about the Old Testament a lot, promises prosperity. The New Testament promises adversity. All throughout the New Testament, it is very clear. This is not going to be an easy road if you're a follower of Christus. If you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be adversity. Yeah. And in, in the face of that adversity, what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to give everything? I had a friend just this past year who came to faith. He spent countless nights in my home. I remember one day I was, I was studying, and he knew. He came over just because he knew he could. He didn't even knock. He came over to my house, and he said, Matt, I've been reading I've been reading about Jesus. I've been reading all the New Testament. And it just feels like if this is true, it changes everything. It changes my job. It changes how I live my home life. It changes how I talk to my friends. It changes what I do for a living. It changes how I show up for work. It changes what I listen to. Everything. Is this true? To which I responded a joyous yes. Because it's not like part Jesus, part not Jesus. Jesus isn't like a, like a nights and weekends God, like a, like a crappy cell phone plan. He is an all or nothing God. He is an all or nothing ordeal. When you're saved, saved people serve people. Saved people change in every single part of their life. Saved people serve people. And it permeates through every inkling of your life. And God will find that area that you aren't giving to him. This message is not about that. But trust me, I've tried to hold on to things and not give them to God. God, you can, have, you can have my Wednesday nights. You can have my weekends. I'll talk to you in the mornings. But man, I really don't want you in my work. I kind of don't want my home to be open. I really don't like that person. No, God will come and he'll remind you. And that nudge that my wife talked about will happen to you. He wants everything. It's actually really simple if you consider it. Following Jesus isn't that hard. We sometimes make it hard. Word became flesh in Jesus, and then man made it word again and made it super complex. But it's really simple. It just takes one thing to follow Jesus. It just happens to be everything. So we're going to talk about what it means to give everything in the gap. Y'all with me? You good? All right. Saved people serve people in three ways. The first thing we see about Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible is that they gave their hands. They gave their work. It says in verse 2, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Later in Romans, he says, in Romans 16.3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They were both. It's important that we see 
our work as a means, not an end. Our work is a means, not an end. We live in a world that finds identity in their work. Finds identity in their work. It's the goal, the next, the next paycheck, the next title, the next project. But that's not what's going to give you fulfillment. See, they knew that their work was an opportunity. Their work was an opportunity. The translation for tent maker actually means leather worker. And it's important that you know that because it wasn't canvas tents. It was leather tents, which insinuates a few things, that they were probably making tents for the, the middle and upper class. They were probably making them for Roman soldiers. Wow. Think about that. The people who just oppressed them, they made tents for them, for parties that they were celebrating, likely because of them exiling the Christians out of Rome and out of their area. And they still chose to do that work. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's amazing. I don't know if I would do that. I hope I would. I hope I would see the larger picture. We live in a world that glorifies our jobs. See, we don't know the difference between vocation and occupation. We don't know the difference between calling and career. We don't know the difference between our ministry and our trades. But they're one and the same. Priscilla and Aquila and Paul were good examples of this. Paul could have been in the church every single day, but he knew to be, an in, uh, to be a force inside the city, he had to be in the city. It's not enough to just talk about it. See, he was also, this was very strategic, cynics were widely popular in Corinth at the time. And so there's a very distinct strategy about Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila in that they still chose to work. Because like the cynics, they would be on the corners talking about their way and yelling it at people. Have you ever seen that with the billboards? Yeah. Repent. And maybe that'll work? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it will. My hunch and my hypothesis is that change actually happens in the context of relationship, not while you're driving 60 miles an hour past an intersection and you see the word repent. It feels a little jarring. So they knew that there was probably a better way to infiltrate in their jobs and their workplaces. They also knew that, like the cynics, they asked for a lot of money. They said, no, we're going to work, and we're going to do one and the same. It's like us. It's everybody in this room. Most of us are not going to be full-time ministers. We're going to be operating in the workforce, and then we're going to have opportunities to minister to our friends. Does that make sense? I had the opportunity, as fate would have it yesterday, God was gentle with me, and he, he introduced me to a man named Johnny Vegas. That's his, that's his, that's his name. name. Johnny Vegas. He is a barber at Northside Barbershops. I usually go to Rawlings or, uh, or Austin's. They were booked up. I need to get cleaned up. If you can believe it, this is my cleaned up. Yeah, looks good. <laughs> and, and I went in right before they were closing. I was that guy, and I said, man, I just need to, I need to look a little bit better for tomorrow so people maybe respect me just slightly more. Could you, could you help me out? And they go, man, we're closing, but maybe Johnny will take you. And Johnny shouted from the back. He's like, hey, man, hey, brother, I'll get you. And so I ran up, sat down, and for 45 minutes, he told me stories. I noticed that he had prayers all around his window, all, his, all around his mirror. And I was like, man, I got to know this guy's story. And man, can I tell you how perfect it was. He told me that during the week, he's been cutting hair for 47 years. 47 years, he says, I get to give people a little bit of peace, a little bit of calm. They get to sit in my chair, and I get to give them a little bit of hope every single week. They don't have to think about anything else. 
they just could either listen to me talk or I'll listen to them talk. And they can tell me all their problems. But on the weekends, on the weekends, I go to the, the prison and I'm a preacher. I went to Bible college. Can you believe that? Can you believe it? He's a perfect example of Priscilla and Aquila. All week long, he finds a way to bless people in his vocation. And then on the weekends, he gives it all to making sure people know the truth and the hope and the peace that only Jesus can provide. What? I met him yesterday. This isn't necessarily a plug for uh, Northside Barbers, but I would encourage you to go see him. He's a wonderful human. It'll be the best 45 minutes of your day. I have other examples. Mike Lynch, Dr. Mike Lynch, he's probably watching right now. He's a chiropractor. He's my chiropractor. Yeah. And he, uh, the first time I ever went and saw him three years ago, I was having a really bad day. And I walked in to Hillsong's What a Beautiful Name in his office waiting room. And I needed that song that day. He didn't have to play that music in Boulder, Colorado. It probably makes it to where he gets less business because we will be like, what is this? What is this music? Why is it not Metallica or something else? He also is a, one of the most generous people that I know. Every year around November, he pays for at least 300 bags for uh, Love Boulder. We give Thanksgiving dinners to all the families around the city. And he usually pays for most of them. Radical, radically generous person. He dedicates his workplace to giving people peace and hope. And he also is extremely generous. Another guy that I used to work with, his name is Pablo Cerrone. He used, to work, he used to walk into meetings, and he would always walk. He would never be running, because we live in a fast-paced culture, over and over again. Jesus would never run. I don't imagine, like, Jesus sprinting to go do stuff and go and break the Pharisees, you know? Like, I don't imagine him doing that. I imagine him walking with this presence and peacefulness and intention that only Jesus could. And Pablo, Pablo did that really well. But what was really cool about Pablo, whenever we walked into a meeting, it gave peace inside of meetings. Man, I would feel so calm. It was like a, like a virtual exhale. But one of my first weeks, he asked me one question. He looked at me and said, how are you doing? And then I, uh, he asked me, uh, how can I pray for you? And it's that question. See, at Pinewood, we ask four questions when we meet people. And they're very intentional. It seems scripted, but they're all very intentional questions. Let me, let me walk them through. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your story? How can I pray for you? Notice what's not in there. What do you do for a living? Because we don't think that it matters that much. It's kind of cool. But we're pretty much betting that it's not like the best way to get to know you. It just happens to be what you do for 40 hours a week. Where's your heart? What's your motivation? What are you struggling with? That's how you get there. You get there by the what's your story and the how can I pray for you. And how can I pray for you, pray for you is the one challenge I give, give to you in regards to this point. See, nobody's going to hear you ask how can I pray for you and say how dare you? How dare you ask me that? No, most of the time when I ask that question to people, it's, um, it's met with a wow. Hoof. You're going you're gonna to talk, talk to the big guy for me? Even better, they're often asking, uh, how, how does that work? Like, you, just get to, you just get to go whenever you want? Like, yep. It's like a, like a built-in benefit of our faith. We got like 100% 24-7 access yeah. to... We got the direct pipeline, man. And so I would encourage you to ask just one person this week, how can I pray for you? But here's the thing. 
Firefighters fight fire. Cooks cook. Doctors heal. Christians pray. That's our job. That's our gig. Saved people serve people. How we can serve people with our hands in our workplaces is just simply ask them how I can pray for you. And not just say, oh, cool. You're having money troubles. You're suffering from anxiety and depression. Your relationship's on the rocks. Cool. I'll do that sometime. Maybe Tuesday. I'll pencil it into my schedule. No. The better way is to say, can I pray for you right now for that very thing? Man. And talk about changing your relationships. When you let God into them and you show your friends what it means to talk to God about their problems. The second thing we see about uh, Priscilla and Aquila is they gave their homes. They gave their homes. First they gave their hands, they gave their work, then they gave their homes. In Acts chapter 18, verse 2 says, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it says, it's the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. They had a church meeting in their house. They also let Paul live with them. The Apostle Paul. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul pooping in your house? That is intimate, man. There's a lot of people I wouldn't poop at their house. There's a lot of people I wouldn't let poop at my house. I probably should. But they saw their home as a church, not a wall from the world. I spent way too much time on poop. I'm sorry, team. We'll edit that out of the broadcast. They opened up their Paul and to many people of the faith. For 18 months, Paul lived with them. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, We're all leading a church at home. It's either by design or it's by default. What does your church look like? If you're married or single, what does your church look like at home? I think about Lewin's Law a lot. Lewin's Law states that behavior is a function of the person in the environment. We're not really great at changing people. It's not really our gig. That's the Holy Spirit's gig. Um, But we can change our environments. Is your home built in such a way that is conducive to growth and encouragement in relationship? Is your table built for two? Is your table built for many? I thought about this a long time. I'm infatuated with the idea of a longer table. Do we have that picture, Ben? Uh, uh, A couple years ago, Pastor Parker helped me build this 16-foot table in in our dining room. And man, can I tell you the life change that happened around that table. We'd often come home and there'd just be people around it without even being asked. It was amazing. People would literally just come to our home. It was open. And we preferred it that way. People would come because they didn't want to go home. They'd talk to us stories. And they'd tell us stories. They'd tell us about their life. Because here's what I'm saying when I open up their home like Priscilla and Aquila did. It's not like the 90-minute nice time, like the nice dinner. Like, anybody can do that. Anybody can say, hey, we're going to clean up our life, we're going to clean up our house, we're going to, like, strategically implement this good version of our home, and then we're going to invite you over for 90 minutes, and then you got to leave. And you don't get to see the dark stuff. You don't get to see the messy stuff. But, man, when you open up your home, truly open up your home, and be authentic and real with people, that's when life change happens in our homes. Yes. Let's do an exercise. Y'all with me? Okay. Get out your phones. And I want you to open up your internet browser. Real quick. I'll wait. <laughs> That's your internet browser. Go to the bottom right-hand corner and click on history. Your, your Google search history. Hopefully you're using Chrome. If you're using Safari, we don't judge you. You're welcome here. <laughs> now, 
If you have that open, I want you to hand it to the person to your right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So, but that fear, that fear that you just experienced, that moment of pain and like, oh no, they're going to see what my, like, what my unknown things are. They're going to see that I don't know the difference between vitamin C and calcium. They're going to see that I Googled really weird stuff. But that intimacy is what is required for true relationship. I love what Tim Keller says, to be known and not loved is tragic, but what's worse is to be loved and not known. It's fake. I don't want friends who see the nice parts of my life and say, ah, you're awesome, I want to be a part of your life. I want the friends who see our bedtime rituals and how it's like World War III and they're still like, you know what, man, I still love you and I still want to be a part of your life and I'm here for you. I want to be around people who see us in our anxious moments when we don't know what we're doing and I don't know how to be a good husband or I don't know how to be a good father and I'm on my knees praying for just people to show me. I want friends who see that and make me better and that's exactly what Priscilla and Aquila did. They opened up their homes to a whole church. So ask yourself, what kind of church at home are you creating? What do you listen to? What do you talk about? What are your values? Do you pray? What do you pray about? What do you watch? But most importantly, how do people, leave, how do people feel when they leave your church, your home? Let's be more hospitable this season. Y'all with me? Let's find more ways to invite people into our life in more intimate ways. The last thing we see about Priscilla and Aquila is that they gave their hearts. They gave their hearts. Oh, man, sorry. I have some stories. Do y'all want to hear some stories? Yeah. Come on. Okay. <laughs> I didn't experience like, what it meant to be like, like opening up a home until we were in Dallas. Or sorry, I was in Dallas, and, and I was like 14 years old. And Chuck and Karen Batzel invited me into their home. And it was the first time I had experienced pray over a meal. But not like, Lord, bless this food and nourish my bodies. Amen. Um, good God, good meat, good gravy, let's eat type deal. Yeah. No, they legitimately prayed over me. And they spoke life into me. In the moment where I thought I was just going to eat some nice brisket, they said, no, let me tell you about what God's giving me about the plan and purpose of your life. I was 14 years old. And that moment changed my life. They put courage into me. And they didn't have to. They could have fed me the meat, and said, see you later. But they said, no, we're going to pray over you. We're going to speak life over you. The Godosis in Dallas, Texas, before Kayla and I moved to Chicago, they had a going away party for us. And they circled up all 20 of our friends and they gave away what's called an honor circle. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of an honor circle here at Pinewood. It changes you. It changes you because you sometimes forget who you are. You need to be reminded in the moment when we were going in the biggest transition of our life, 20 people recounted the truths of who we were and our character, and they spoke into us before they sent us off. The manuals. If you've ever met our pastors, I used to think that the phrase, do life together, was kind of cliche. I'm just being honest and being real. Like, What does that even mean? And then you feel it, and then you experience it, and it's legitimately one of the coolest things ever. See, you can invite people over the nice stuff, but do you invite people over to the middle stuff? Like, I'm not really doing anything important. Cooking a meal. I'm having to reprimand my son. How to do, like, I have to go to the DMV. Do you want to come with me? Are you in the gap? Are you actually doing life together? That's the friends that you need. That's what opening up your home and your life looks like. The last thing we see is hearts. 
In Acts chapter 18, we'll skip to verse 24, we'll talk about when they met Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So Paul took Priscilla and Aquila from Corinth to Ephesus. It says, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor or passion. He taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. They go to Ephesus, and they hear this guy who's got passion. He's got spunk, kid. And they say, oh, okay, he's got potential, but he's got some gaps. And what do they do? They see his gaps, and they get on Twitter, and they sweep the heretic in Ephesus. No. They hear him in his gaps in knowledge and understanding, and they say, here's a YouTube video of the 10 reasons why Apollos is a fraud. Or they go to brunch with their friends, and they say, you know what? I don't really like Apollos' teaching. I like Paul's podcast better. No. They looked at Apollos, and they said, I see potential. I see what he can become, not who he was in the moment. They were true friends. They listened first. They corrected in private, most likely the comfort of their own home. They encouraged him. And that's all that word means. Encouraged means to put courage into somebody. How often do you do that? How often do you default to that versus like, oh, we love to cancel. We love when a person messes up and says something dumb or because they honestly don't have a good knowledge of what is happening around them. You could be that person to help them. You could be that person to help them know the, the fuller picture. But even better, you could be the person, the one person who looks at them and says, listen, you have so much potential, and I see it in you. I see the plan, the purpose for your life, and I'm going to speak life into you. Here's some things you need to know as a friend, in private first. How often do we do that? We love to cancel. We live in a, a culture who is fixated on right now. Like it's just like it's a hashtag, cancel this, cancel this because of these mistakes versus how much did you sit with that person or that thing and have it help build them up. That should be our default as believers. Saved people serve people. And by serving people, it's caring about them. It's caring about them long-term. Yeah. Ralph Waldo Emerson says it this way, God does not intend all of us to be rich, powerful, and great, but he does intend all of us to be friends. Philippians 4, 5 says this, make it as clear as you can to all that you're on their side. That you're on their side, working for them, not against them. We live in a world who you're kind of like, I don't know if you're on my team. It should be so apparent in the Christian community that we are on each other's team. There should be no doubt, leave no doubt that I care about every single person who is in the body of Christ. And I'm going to stick up for them. I'm going to speak life into them. And I'm going to know in my heart of hearts that they're going to be better because God cares about them. So I care about them. That's important. That's the way we're supposed to live. We're so quick to evaluate based on little moments in people's lives. We don't do this with kids. I wouldn't look at Dax and Link as they were trying to walk and talk. And it's objectively kind of garbage because they're kids and say, you idiot, I'm going to cancel you. You're never going to walk. 
You're never going to talk. No, we see potential. It's so easy in kids. Why is it so hard in adults? We're just bigger kids, man. We're just bigger kids. So have a lot more grace and space and patience with our friends and take every opportunity to make it known that you're on their team, that you're with them and for them. The last thing I'll say about Priscilla and Aquila, and I couldn't ignore this. In Romans 16, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches and the Gentiles are grateful for them. We don't know what they did. We don't know how they risked their lives. It could have been the fires in Rome, and they pulled ball out of a, like a burning building. We don't know. One of the first questions I'll ask them when I get to heaven, what was that about? How did you risk your life? I want to know. But what's important for you to see that is they cared about people who they were leading. They cared about the Apollos, but they also cared about people above them, their leadership. They cared very deeply for them. And it wasn't like a, oh, I respect and honor my leadership. It was they would give their lives for their leadership because that's how this thing works. This thing only succeeds if our leadership succeeds. Without vision, we'll perish. And our vision is held by our leaders. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's important that we love and care for Specifically, our pastors. Specifically, our pastors. See, sometimes we forget the basics, like helping feed them, remind them, or even just call them pastors. There's a reason that we do that. There's a reason that we call pastors Parker and Jess, pastors Parker and Jess. It's to remind us of their position, but it's also to remind them and to put courage into them. There's something about that. There's something about submitting to leadership that this world so greatly hates we don't like being told what to do. We don't like submitting to anybody. We like our own way. But when you submit and you encourage and you trust leadership, things change. Things truly change. It's important that we do that. At bare minimum, respect them. But at most, risk your life for them. They do that for you. I've seen it. Every person who walks into this space in the Riverside, who likes our Instagram posts, they're praying for. They care so very deeply about every single one of you. Do you? I want you to. They want you to. God wants you to. Our pastors need friends. Our leadership needs friends. Paul needed Timothy and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila for encouragement. In Galatians it says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How we reach our cities depends entirely on how we operate in the gap. How are you giving your hands? How are you giving your homes? How are you giving your hearts to the people around you? It's hard. A lot of times I want to give up. Sometimes I don't want to offer up my home. Sometimes I don't want to sacrifice my workplace. But I love what Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. For at the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. We love Voo Church. They say it like this. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If we are continuously ruthless in our serving of others around us by offering up our hands, homes, and hearts, we will change the city. I see it. I see it. I see families restored. I see people not getting divorced. I see anxiety and depression lower than they've ever have been. I see people giving more generously. 
more radically than I've ever seen in a city who is notorious for not doing that. I see more volunteer work. I see more people in poverty, not in poverty. I see our houseless neighbors finding new life and finding Jesus. But it only happens if you operate in the gaps, not just your nights and weekends, not just Sundays, not just right now. It's tomorrow saying, hey, I'm going to change the way I show up at work. I'm going to change the way we offer up our home. Here are our family values and our missions. Here's how we're going to talk in our house. And here's how we're not going to talk in our house. Here's what we're going to listen to. We're not going to listen to garbage. We're going to listen to life-giving music because music and worship changes things. We're going to encourage everybody around us. We're going to encourage everybody around us. We're going to default. Our default is going to be, I believe in you. I believe that you're going to do great things. Because God told me so. I know so. I know that he has something more than you could ever imagine. Let me give you a little peek of that. So much so that people look around at Christians and they go, what is up with them, man? What is happening at Pinewood? What is happening at that workplace? To which we get to respond a resounding, Jesus, welcome to the party, man. You get to be loved by default. You don't got to work for it. Now, you might be here and you might say, Matt, I'm too far gone. I've done a lot of bad things. I've done a lot of bad things. I'm too far gone. My relation with God is broken. You might be here and this is the first time you've been in church in ever or years. You're in good company. You're in good company. See, we believe it's really simple. Like I said, it takes one thing. It takes giving everything. We believe that God made us, gave us free will, and we kind of jacked that up. But God loves us so much that in our sin, he sent his son to pay all the debt that we couldn't, we couldn't pay for, we couldn't possibly. And all we have to do is yield. You just have to receive. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for changing my life. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to, I don't have to be a slave to this world. I don't have to be a slave for the next job title. I don't have to protect myself from the world. I don't have to know who's for me and who's against me. I get to serve you. I have a very clear purpose in my life. And that's what we want. That's what we want for you. But all you have to do is receive. And so we're going to pray a prayer. We don't believe that this prayer saves you. But if you, if you don't know Jesus, you're like, Matthew, I don't... I don't I don't, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I said, it's really simple. All you got to do is talk to him about it and say, I, I, I believe you're the Lord of my life. And if that's you today, we're going to have a prayer team up here during the last song. And I will encourage you, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, come ask for prayer, just for anything. It'll be the best decision of your week. It'll be the best decision of your week. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, Let's just pray this prayer together, if you believe it. Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. I confess that I have sinned against you. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And right now, by faith, I say, Jesus, you're Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. By your grace, I am saved. And by your power, I am set free. Come on, give it up. We believe it today, team.
If you pray that prayer again, I'd encourage you to come and talk to somebody. Find me, find Pastors Parker or Jess, find somebody on our worship team, and we'd love to talk to you about this. We want to walk this journey with you. I'm going to pray us out. I hope this message blessed you, and I hope you go into this week thinking about the ways you can give your work, your hands, your homes, and your hearts in more radical ways in the gap to serve this community and change the city in Jesus' name. Yahweh, we love you. And we thank you that you gave us this power on earth to build your kingdom here. We want your kingdom here in Boulder. We want to see new life and we want to see people changed. We want more hope, less anxiety, less turmoil, more community, more connection, more relationship. Lord, we're sorry when we make it about us and we forget the power that you gave us to change people around us. We love you so much. I ask that you bless every soul in this room and give them courage, wisdom, favor, and power going into this week that they would bless all those around them continuously. And it's in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.